Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Our plan for this morning is to, well, it's sort of evolving, but our original plan was to um, talk about the term fiduciary. Um, It doesn't exactly take 120 minutes to define the term fiduciary, but we wanted to um, give a little background on that. That's a term that you hear very frequently. I feel like as of late, we've heard that term very frequently in the business, though it's a term that's been around for a very long time in our business. Um, But I think maybe with the evolution of the World Wide Web and, uh, you know, handheld devices and and easy accessibility to information, I think we've just heard um, that term more frequently because, you know, I think if you Googled questions to ask my financial advisor or interviewing financial advisors, what to look for an advisor. If you Google anything like that, you're probably nine times out of 10 going to stumble upon something that says, ask if they're a fiduciary. Yeah. I mean, we'll get, I know I get that question sometimes or I would not every time, but um, maybe 40 to 50% of the time when somebody, you know, some, a new potential client walks in the door, that's, that's one of the questions they ask, yeah. you know, is, are you a fiduciary? Yeah. Um, I feel like you can tell who did their homework before they come meet with you. Right. Like for Absolutely. people that have never worked with an advisor before, they kind of want to do their homework and know what to ask. You can always tell who those people are because they'll, they'll ask, well, they all are asking very similar questions. They're probably, you know, looking for resources on the, um, on the web regarding what to ask. And they're all really great questions. And one of them inevitably is, are you a fiduciary? Yeah. Uh, I, you mentioned about it being, you know, a relatively new thing, but yeah, I think, 
I remember I was looking, you know, looking it up, and this said back in like 2016 is kind of when that became, you know, that was kind of when it became a really hot, you know, a hot, yeah. a hot, you know, word, you know, a, um, and I remember, you know, going to yeah. conferences back then, you know, for you know, financial in the financial industry, and it was that was like pretty much every session you went to, they would talk about it. Uh, they would talk about. It. The fiduciary, and and at that point, that what it was, was the was there a trigger in 2016? Uh, because well, we're going to talk about the background here in a minute. That was I think that was when the Department of Labor started, you know, sort of. Um, oh, maybe push, they had that push, as a word pushing, in there. Pushing that the fiduciary um, role, yeah. Okay. And so that's when everybody was talking about what does that mean and what does that imply and you know what do you need to do to to make sure that you're you know following those rules. Yeah. Uh, and everybody was in that. It was a new you know it was it was. A new word to us. I mean, that was you know something I'd never really, you know, heard yeah, or. Yeah. Um, so, but now it's becoming more common. So as Kirk and I were, you know, putting together our thoughts for the show, I think this might evolve into more general, the topic more general than just what is a fiduciary, but you know what, working with a financial advisor in general and the things to be cognizant of, and and maybe a little bit of insight on our and how our business works. I mean, the reading that we do in our industry is different from the reading that, that the general public will do regarding our industry. So I think a little bit of insight in what's going on in our industry um, is fairly timely and um, given what's going on with, with regulation and I think appropriate and I think good for a lot of people to know um, the different types of advisors that there are to work with, um, you know, different conflicts of interest, different compensation models, um, and and what you can expect from working with it with different advisors. So if anyone has questions, again, you can give us a call 781-837-4900, or you can give us a shoot us a text 781-775-0116. Um, so I thought I would just start by defining a fiduciary. Mm -hmm. I mean, I looked it up in a few different places, but the first definition that will pop up if you just Google it is a, a Merriam-Webster definition, not specifically related to the financial industry, but just the word fiduciary in general means involving trust. And especially with regard to the relationship between a trustee and a beneficiary. So that word fiduciary in the legal world um, has been around a very long time. And, and any trustee of a trust or personal representative of an estate or, or someone managing finances for the benefit of someone else is required to act as a fiduciary. So that has been, that's been in place in the legal world for a very long time um, with regards to a trustee managing assets, dispersing assets for the benefit of someone else. And that trustee needs to act as a fiduciary and and a fiduciary is someone who is, <clears throat> excuse me, required to place the interests of someone else ahead of their own interests. So if you go to Investopedia, for example, which which I happen to think is a really good resource for um, defining financial terms, I think that, that, that the information on that site is um, easy to read and easy to understand. Um, if you go to Investopedia, the definition of a fiduciary is a person or an organization that acts on behalf of another person to manage assets. Essentially, a fiduciary owes to that other entity the duties of good faith and trust, the highest legal duty of one party to another being a fiduciary requires being bound ethically to act in the other's best interest. So that's from Investopedia. Um, 
but I guess the background of the, or, or for a very long time that, you know, trustees and, and executives of states have been required and legally bound to act as fiduciaries I, or custodians of assets, I should say. Yeah. It, can I, uh, yeah. So I found another, another kind of a definition or kind of a yeah. couple subsets that I thought was interesting. So, you know, uh, this was according to the Cornell Law Dictionary. It says uh, fiduciary duty is the highest standard of care. That's kind of their their definition. Um, it, sa- it goes on to say, you know, it entails always acting in your beneficiary's best interest, even if doing so is contrary to yours. Yeah. Uh, in the case of a, you know, a financial advisor, uh, you know, that may mean recommending a product that results in reduced or no compensation because it's the best option for the client. Yep. Um, then under the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, they're sort of well, definition or, you know, some kind of bullet points as far as yeah. what that entails. Um, you know, they say, you know, acting with undivided loyalty and utmost good faith, uh, providing full and fair disclosure of all material facts, um, not misleading clients. This is the SEC. This is the SEC. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, avoiding conflicts of interest. Yeah. Um, not using a client's assets for the advisor's own benefit or the benefit of, of other clients. Yeah. I, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of this but, stuff is like, it's really sad that it even has to be sa- right. stated, but yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. So, I mean, they all sort of, you know, sort of say similar things, um, but it's just kind of. Yeah. I mean, being a fiduciary is just, is being required to place someone else's interests ahead of your own. And so for an advisor, it means placing clients' interests ahead of your own interests in, in an advisor's own interests would be would be compensation. Right. Um, you know, it's as I was thinking about like in putting together the outline for today, I it is just kind of sad that there's all this regulation surrounding that, that someone has, that just there that there has to be. Your, has yeah, to right, be. Right. yeah, you're right. That there has to that's what I mean. That there has to be regulations surrounding a financial professional just doing the right thing. It's really sad. And there's there's a lot, and we're gonna get into some of this today. Over the years, there's just been a lot of regulation trying to get legally enforce or, or, or yeah, enforce advisors doing what's best for the client. And it, you would think that that would go without saying, but it, it doesn't always, unfortunately. It, and, and, and it's been amazing, amazing, you know, how much, how much pushback there's been from, you know, from the big companies, um, you know, trying yeah. to push back on these, these rules and regulations because yeah. it's, it could, it could affect, it could affect the, their compensation. Right. And so I, so let's get into the, de- the difference between a fiduciary standard and a suitability standard because this is this is this falls under the background of some of these regulations and and in our industry there are different types of financial professionals um, and both of those financial and all these different types of financial professionals can be giving advice and oftentimes the client doesn't know the compensation model they don't know the conflicts of interest they don't they might not necessarily be able, first of all, you should be working with someone that you trust, but they might not necessarily be able to trust that the recommendation is made in their best interest. So, I mean, it makes sense that there are regulations in this regard, but again, it is pretty sad that, you know, there are people out there that just aren't trustworthy and aren't doing the right thing and, or, or, or have been anyway, and, and that we have to have all these regulations. But so in our world, there's essentially two commit, essentially two compensation models and the the first being recommending a product and being paid a commission for placement of that 
investment product. Um, and that investment product could be a mutual fund, it could be an insurance product, it could be an annuity, but there's this, there's this whole world of, of re- what we call registered representatives that work for broker dealers, which is the larger financial institution. And they are, can be are, you know, working with clients and they can be giving advice, but th- and they're held to what's called a suitability standard. So anyone in that, what we would call the commission-based world, who is someone that is paid either an, I know you wanted to get into this a little bit more, but either an upfront or a backend commission um, is held to a suitability standard. So, so the commission world is, I recommend something to a client that I think is suitable. And I shouldn't say I, I, I was using that term generically because Kirk, Kirk and I and, and advisors at McNamara are not in the commission world. We'll get to that in a moment. But in the commission world, the financial representative is recommending something that they feel is, or they should be recommending something that they feel is suitable to the client based on their goals and objectives. And they're paid a commission for it. Generally speaking, it would be an upfront commission and and the the range of commissions is varied, Mm -hmm. right? And it can be um, reasonable or it could be, you know, I guess high as a relative term, but, but commissions, you know, the percentage commission that they're receiving is, is, is different based on the product and the relationship and in the amount of dollars that you're talking about. Um, so I wanted to elaborate more on commission. Did you have something to start? But I wanted well, to, to like, compi- like commission versus fee yeah, and then kind well, of talk about well, the thing, standards that they're One thing I was going to say is that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we don't do commission products, but but there was a time in the past when we did. Right. And because, you know, whatever, that made sense, you know, at, at one point. And, and then we realized that that, that wasn't really the way, we, there was a better way. We felt like there was a better way. Yeah. And so we transitioned out of that uh, to go with this new model, which we'll talk about. But, um, you know, just to be clear, we did, we did do that in the past. Yep. Uh, but then we decided this is a better route to travel um, because it makes sense for, you know, we believe both, you know, both parties involved. You know, right. Both, you know, the client and us. So, and I guess all of our comments today are fairly generic and, and there's there's lots of financial professionals out there, lots of them, you know, conducting themselves in a very ethical manner and unfortunately some not so much. Um, and, and we want to talk about the pros and the cons of both of these compensation structures and in these models. Um, but not to be too generalistic regarding the, you know, that one's better than the other. We happen to right now feel that we're, we're very comfortable being in our fee-based world. But as you said, we were in the commission-based world. Unfortunately, in the commission-based world of financial professionals, it's a sales model. And, and not, not that all financial professionals in that world are acting in a salesy way and that, you know, that can have a negative connotation, that word, that word sales, but that's what it is. You're recommending a financial instrument or a product to someone, you're paid for it right away. And then you have essentially, you have very little ongoing compensation from that client, which removes from a financial perspective anyway, removes your um, incentive, yeah, your incentive to, to care for that client right. ongoing mm-hmm. because you have upfront recommended something. Yes, it's supposed to be suitable. It's supposed to be appropriate for them based on what you what you find are their goals and objectives. But then it's like a, tran- it's a transaction and then it's 
done. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all commission-based advisors ignore their clients ongoing, of course not, but just from a compensation structure, it's a sales structure. So that commission-based advisor in order for them to keep their business going, they have to continually go out and look for more and more new, new clients, right? Like it's it's like- Or sell products to existing clients, r- perhaps. Very, very good point, yes. Um, because that's just the way that their compensation model is, right? So that's one of the reasons that- So yeah, to be clear, we're not, yeah. we're not saying this is bad, you know, we're not, you know, I think, I don't think we're trying to um, say it's good or bad. Just that this is more of a, as you said, a kind of a transactional yeah. relationship, and and you know. And to can, be clear, we have a lot of friends and yeah. that are advisors that are in the commission-based yeah. world, and I trust that they're doing things very ethically, yeah. of course, um, and caring for their clients ongoing. But we, we're just talking about the compensation model, and and that compensation model has its its own conflicts of interest, just like we do as right. as fee-based advisors, and we're gonna and we disclose that to our clients, and we're, we'll talk about that today. Um, so one of the reasons that, as Kirk mentioned, that we decided to remove our or leave the commission-based world and go, and go strictly to a fee world is because we didn't like, from a compensation point of view, we didn't like the model that it created. We didn't like the business model aspect of it because it it's your incentive is to f- find more clients and not necessarily care for your existing ones. Um, and so in the fee-based world, the world that that we're in at McNamara Financial, and we were in prior also too, we were like in a hybrid um, world before, and many financial professionals are in a hybrid world where some of their clients are, uh, some of their compensation is commission-based and some of it is fee-based. Um, we're right now 100% in the fee-based world where we're not receiving a commission for se- for selling or recommending a product, we're receiving a fee on an annual basis, and it is an ongoing fee. So, very very high level, someone could make the argument that well, working with a commission based advisor is less expensive because yes, I pay a higher commission up front in terms of percentage, but then my ongoing costs are much lower. So if I don't change investment representatives or change my portfolio for 10 years, then then that was less expensive. Yes, that's true because our fee, while it's lower than a commission, it is an ongoing fee year over year. But, and so yes, de- depending on the situation, that might, that might be more costly to a client, but it comes with ongoing management of of financial assets, which is different from the commission world because that's I recommend something and then that's it, right? Whereas the, with the fee-based world, it's ongoing management and it's ongoing advice and it's an ongoing relationship and using us as a resource for any any advice in in the world of finance and you know cre- you know financial planning and etc. For us anyway, most of the time is included in our in that fee. Um, so we we transitioned to that fee-based world nine years ago? It was almost nine years ago, 100% to the fee-based world about nine years ago. Yeah, it was 2010, It was 2010. And we, so again, we were in a hybrid for several years before that. Um, And so, so we, you know, we made that transition primarily because we liked the business model better because there's a financial incentive for, for an advisor to care for that client ongoing. And that doesn't mean that we have to recommend a whole new uh, portfolio of securities 
for that reason. Whereas in the commission-based world, you know, the, I guess we could talk about churning and stuff like that. And hopefully that doesn't happen too much anymore. But, but in the commission-based world for an advisor to receive additional compensation for someone they already recommended a portfolio to, they have to completely change the portfolio to be compensated again. Um, and, and so unfortunately that I hope it doesn't happen too often, but in the, in the commission world, if there are frequent transactions in an account, especially transactions from one investment company to another. And if, it, you know, if that's very, very frequent, that, that is called churning where, where someone, where an advisor could be, or a financial professional, I shouldn't call that person an advisor, um, could be making, making frequent changes inside of an investment account for compensation reasons, which is not in the client's best interest usually. So that, that's what that word churning means. But again, I hope it, I, hopefully it doesn't happen too often, but in the fee-based world, that's, that's not an issue at all. We can, we can trade and we can have different um, securities in our clients' accounts and we, can, we don't trade incredibly frequently, but we can do it we, yeah, you can, we essentially can, as much as possible. Yeah, we can without, rebalance. Yeah. We, can, we can change investments if we, if we deem, you know, deem it you know, worth you know, having value. But yeah, without, yeah, there's no commission. There's no, right. there's no cost. You know, well, it may be a trade, you know, a small um, you know, a ticket, test, uh, you know, yeah. Seven or ten dollars or something like that, but yeah, there's no commissions every time we, you know, rebalance or or change investments. Right. So, I just want to go a little bit further regarding suitability versus fiduciary standard. It's almost break time. Just and then and then we'll take a break. Okay. And I wanted to get into the fiduciary rule that never that never actually came to to be after eight or nine years, I think it was. Um, so, again, the commission based world, registered representatives of broker dealers, they're held to what's called a suitability standard, meaning that they're required to recommend, make recommendations to a client that meet the client's needs and objectives. That's what that's what the suitability standard is. Um, the regulatory body in that world is FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. Um, in the fee-based world, the regulatory body is either the state that you're registered with for smaller advisors or the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC for larger advisors. We're, we're a federally registered investment advisor here at McNamara and, and we're overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Smaller RIAs are, are registered with, the, with their uh, individual states. So a fee-based advisor is held to a fiduciary standard per the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. So this goes back a long time. I Maybe that word fiduciary wasn't in the original Investment Advisors Act. That I don't know, because you mentioned 2016. Well, I mean, just, yeah, in the past five, you know, five years, plus or minus, it's, yeah. just, it's become a hot, you know, a, uh, a hot button uh, word. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know that it was originally yeah. in the 40 Act, um, but it's, it's certainly become more prevalent uh, over the last five years. The Investment Advisors Act of 1940, which came about after the Great Depression, um, it is the is the governing uh, law for uh, registered investment advisors. So we are Kirk and I, Kirk and I are registered invest or investment advisor representatives of a registered investment advisor, the registered investment advisor or RIA being McNamara Financial. So we're registered with an IAR of an RIA. It's very yeah. Yes. Those those initials are very similar. But um, and so a fee based advisor is held to the fiduciary standard, which is a duty of loyalty and care 
and being required to put the needs of your clients ahead of of the advisor's own needs being financial compensation. So there so we're going to elaborate a little bit on this because there's there's been some regulation recently which changes things a little bit, but um, the suitability standard and the fiduciary standard in the world of financial professionals are similar, but the fiduciary standard is like, it's, it's, at, it's at another level where you're legally required to put your client's interests ahead of your own. With the suitability standard, that, that language isn't in there. You're, you're required to do something suitable but not necessarily putting your client's interests ahead of your own. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean that people in the commission world don't put their clients' interests ahead of their own, but they're not legally required to. All right, so that was just some background on um, the word fiduciary and all things surrounding that. Um, and I thought getting into the you know the, the the different types of advisors and the compensation models for advisors is is very well. You kind of have to define that in order to in order to go from here. Um, but we'll take a quick break, and then we did want to talk about the fiduciary rule, which was which was an Obama era, uh, you know, legislation and that, that never actually came to be. That was last year that was struck down by one of the courts. Um, but then there's, there's something different sort of in the works um, that we'll talk about after the break. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed here with Kirk Reed. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come right back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show for 20 some odd years, 25 years, I think, something like that. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and we are talking about things related to the term fiduciary. What is a fiduciary was our official topic for today's show, but we wanted to get into um, some of the things that are going on right now with regards to regulation in our industry. And we think it's pretty important for the general public to understand the, the different types of advisors that they can work with should they choose and the compensation models and that are out there and, and just under having a better understanding of conflicts of interest and uh, compensation, I think is just very helpful when you're, if you're deciding to work with an advisor. Um, so we sort of def defined the term fiduciary, uh, putting putting the interests of a client ahead of your own and the differences in uh, the commission-based registered representative world and the fee-based investment advisor world. Um, and I just wanted to touch on quickly the fiduciary rule because this was, this I believe it, it uh, started in 2010. I believe the original draft was back in 2010. This was an Obama initiative. And it, it um, okay, I don't know the exact timing, but it was, it was written into law briefly. I wanna say like in 2017. And then President Trump, he wrote, there was an executive order where he was delaying implementation of the fiduciary rule. Meanwhile, um, the the Fifth Circuit, the Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, I think, which is like a Mississippi, Louisiana court. I was reading that one this morning. Um, struck this down in 2018, saying that it was un, you know unconstitutional and citing um, citing a few reasons why. But basically, it, it's it's fairly irrelevant now because it's not 
it's not a law now. It never came to fruition. Um, but there are some important things I think that came about as a result of it. And one being some of the new regulations that are that are just now passed and going to be imposed next year um, under a different title, regulation best interest. But I but they're these things are pretty related. And I think it's the reg the new regulation best interest. Some people kind of think it's like the new fiduciary rule because the fiduciary rule never came to be. Well, I, I mean, I but, th- I think I think to me what what came about as a result of it of it being talked about and then ultimately you know struck down was the fact that there are companies out there that with, don't want to abide by these with rules. lots of lobby with yeah. lots of lobbyists I mean, and lots of yeah lots of money yeah why, deep pockets, I mean yeah. what's what's their you know what's what's the issue why you know why can't you know why are they why are they so against you know, so against this because they stood to lose a ton of financial assets in the way of people transferring out the door and working with fiduciaries. Yeah, I mean that's. I think to me that's pretty, pretty eye opening as yeah. far as what's going on out there. So I mean, th- this the fiduciary rule was um, Obama. I guess Obama's Department of Labor. Um, it was a rule that that I, I don't know how many pages it was, but to summarize, was a rule that would. Um, force any financial professional that had assets under management in retirement accounts, so it could be what what we call ERISA retirement accounts, like 401ks, 403bs, or individual retirement accounts, IRAs, rollovers, Roths. Um, So it, it was going to impose that any financial professional that had retirement dollars under their care, under their management, or their recommendation, um, were requ- they were going to be required to give conflict-free advice on those retirement accounts, and they were going to be required to put their clients' needs ahead of their own potential compensation. That was there. There was lots of things in the fiduciary rule, but but that was like a that's a really quick summary of it. So it was it was trying. So we just talk. We just spoke a moment ago about registered representatives in the in the commission-based world, registered reps of broker-dealers, and how they have not ever been held to a fiduciary standard. The fiduciary rule was going to elevate them and require them to act as fiduciaries, specifically relating to dollars that they were under their care in retirement accounts. So, so registered reps were going to have to be held to the fiduciary standard. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like you'd think, oh. Sounds good. It's like, yeah. You know, you sit back and you're like, okay, well, why are they not already? We already talked about suitability and they're required to make suitable recommendations, but they were going to be elevated to a new standard. Um, and they push back on that. And yes, the, the lar- you know, large broker dealers and, and large financial institutions that had a lot, that have a lot of financial professionals working for them, under them, that aren't fiduciaries, um, you know, they, they just, they lobbied against this rule. They have very deep pockets. Um, also, insurance companies were lobbying against this rules. This rule, be you know, I, be, I think because, you know, annuities are very high commission products. And I think, personal opinion, there are, many annuities sold to clients that are certainly not in the client's best interest. That's not a that's not an all annuities statement there, but I think there are very many that are sold by insurance professionals that 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 even that insurance professional probably knows 
is not in their best interest. And they're, they're, they're very high commission products, unfortunately. So lots of lobbying against the fiduciary rule. Um, financial professionals that sell annuities, insurance companies stood to lose a lot of business because the, just because, because someone, if you're all of a sudden held to a fiduciary, fiduciary standard and you weren't before, how many of these annuities would be sold ongoing? I don't know. Probably mm-hmm. it would the annuity sales probably stood to decline very substantially. I mean, um, you know, as, and as you said, you know, we're, this is not these are not blanket statements. Uh, you're just you know kind of talking. Uh, there are some cases of this, and you know, as we talked about, you know, insurance insurance companies have gigantic you know lobbies, and you know, insurance companies have, have a lot. Pockets, they, yeah. They've got a lot of money to you know to kind of fight these things, and yeah. I was going back and I've just over the history. Um, yeah. And yeah, so basically it says it was October 2010 was the initial proposal. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and then uh, uh, 2000, in September 2011, it was basically, there was a lot, you know, they did some public hearings and it was basically lots of, lots of pushback. Um, and then it wasn't until 2015 when President Obama brought it back up. Okay, 2015. Uh, 2015, yeah. he brought it back up um, and spent you know some a lot a decent amount of time specifically talking about it and trying to to get it back um, in the works. Um, and then since then, there's been you know a couple of revisions and um, yeah, that's kind of some and then of the in two, uh, and then in 2018, uh, one of the circuit courts of appeals. Um, vacated it, struck it down, saying that um, I think what they cited was was an a lack of authority for the Department of Labor to oversee financial professionals. So I think that the 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 reason it one of the reasons it was struck down was not that it wasn't generally speaking good for the general public, but that the Department of Labor right now doesn't oversee. They, they don't have regulatory authority over financial professionals. Mm-hmm. And so and so there was, um, and I guess that was the reason that, um, that the DOL wasn't going to be able to enforce it. And, and they were crossing, you know, lines that, that are in place where, where they don't have the authority to, um, you know, they don't have the authority to oversee that. And so, you know, I, we, in our business, it didn't materially affect our business as registered investment advisors as we're fiduciaries anyway, what was going to affect us is, um, is, you know, just more disclosure, more paperwork, asking us, you know, to have our, our clients and new clients, you know, read another 20 page document and sign, you know, sign here. And it's just going to be more disclosure and, you know, just kind of like more hoops to jump through. But, you know, it didn't really materially affect our, in our side of the industry because we already, um, act as fiduciaries, but the, but the whole commission based of side of the industry stood to, to change pretty substantially. So anyway, that fiduciary rule didn't go anywhere. Um, now, just this past June, the um, SEC came out with regulation best interest, which I think some people are calling like the new fiduciary rule, because I want to say this, this, it started right after the fiduciary rule was struck down. Um, so just, yeah, just this past June, the SEC made effective regulation best interest. It doesn't actually go into effect for advisors until next year. 
but it's essentially requiring brokers and broker dealers to act in their client's best interest when making an investment recommendation. They, technically speaking, they have to meet four requirements dis, un, under the headings of disclosure, care of clients, you know, re- reasonable diligence and care and skill in making recommendations, um, disclosing conflicts of interest and compliance with the regulations. So it, 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 it's, um, it's very, very similar to the fiduciary rule, having brokers and, their, and broker dealers act in clients' best interests. Um, it, again, it doesn't so much affect our industry other than there's a new disclosure document um, called the Form CRS. I don't know what CRS stands for. You're going to have to find that out for me. Um, which also known as ADV Part 3. ADV is a document that registered investment advisors, advisors file with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And we have to make that document available to all clients and potential clients. And we have to make sure it's updated at least annually. Um, but there's just a new disclosure form requiring brokers and registered investment advisors to disclose the nature of their services and relationship with the client, um, disclosing fees and costs, disclosing standards of conduct and conflicts of interest. We already disclose many of these things anyway. So for us, it's not a material change other than logistically speaking, we have to have this new form um, made available to clients and potential clients. Um, so lots of disclosure in there requiring, requiring upfront disclosure of compensation, revenue sharing agreements, whether or not proprietary products are being recommended, um, which in the invest in the world of, you know, uh, brokers and, and registered reps, that's an issue. Um, disclosing account minimums, again, compensation, conflicts of interest. So, you know, if I think it's, it's one of those things where it's like, why do we need, you know, it's like, it's really sad again that we need this. Um, but it's, it's on one hand, elevating standard of care for financial professionals in the, um, commission based world. On the other hand, it's, you know, it's just another form and another disclosure. Um, the one, the one, um, Maybe it's, component that that is that is a little irksome to registered investment advisors, which we are. So, so professionals in the fee-based world, um, something that's a little bit irksome to this is that, with regards to uh, fee-only advisors, the SEC does not use the term fiduciary, and so. You know, for, again, we already talked about. It, you know, in the, we're required to act as fiduciaries per the Investment Advisor Act, and but the but the SEC, I guess, thinks that the general public doesn't understand the term fiduciary, and so they're not they haven't used that in this regulation best interest, which I think is like a thirteen or fourteen hundred page document. But the I guess the term fiduciary, I haven't read the whole thing, but I guess the term fiduciary isn't used, and that's a bit irksome to people on our side of the business because we're very proud to be fiduciaries. It sets us apart from um, from registered representatives that aren't, that, that aren't required to act as fiduciaries. That, you know, it ele- I think it elevates us a little bit. It, 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 it puts us, you know, it's not a level playing field. It, 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 it's, um, it puts us on a different, 
I don't know. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It, I, I think it elevates us and it makes it sets us apart. Yeah. Well, I think so, well, I think we're doing our part today to uh, talk about right. it and, and educate uh, educate people and just kind of you know and you know people obviously can make their decisions based on what works for them uh, and you know and obviously just like anything else that we do we have to disclose and yeah. you know we have our biases and yeah we think you know we think this is you know to use your dad's term this is the gold standard uh, as far as. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, as far, as far as financial advisors are concerned, you know, working with somebody that, you know, when they when they give you a recommendation, it it you know should be in your best interest, and that's kind of what it boils down to. Right. Um. I was trying to look up what that you know that form yeah, what CRS customer. I think customer, it. I think it's. I think I it's forget. either customer or client uh, relationship summary. Oh, I was going to call it a profile. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it, it appears to be like ADV Part Three. You know, we, yeah, we have ADV right. Part One, Part Two. Part so one this, and two. this is the new section. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, it's it's a form uh, that you know you need to file with. Uh, I guess it's with the SEC. Yeah, with the SEC. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Client relationship summary. That's what it appears to stand for. It's just it's 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 more disclosure. Which again, the the foundation for this is um, is doing what's best for the client and and allowing the general public to um, understand more about our business and our compensation and that's all well and good. Unfortunately, what happens is with more regulation comes more disclosure and quite honestly, the more disclosure you have, the less likely the, the customer is going to read it anyway. It's like, you know, already our ADV right now is what, 20, 30 pages long yeah. and and then we also have our, um, uh, <laughs> what is wrong? Our, um, Investment services agreement. Sorry. Right. So, so under the heading of documents that we provide for our clients, disclosure documents, you know, we have our we have our form ADV, which we file with the SEC, and we make that available, and we give that to all all new clients, um, twenty or thirty pages long, or it's a little booklet with fine print, but still like sixteen. You know, it could be a small booklet, but then the print is just finer. It's right. still like twenty right. or thirty pages of fine print. Um, all about our business and, and all in all of our disclosures, and and then we have our investment services agreement, which is drafted by our compliance attorneys, and it's an understanding between client and advisor of the relationship and the expectations. That's another twenty pages long of fine print. And, like who, re you know, and, I and a privacy policy and, and yeah, uh, I mean, code of like, ethics, and yeah, you know, this is this is all great. Yet that advisors are giving all this information to their clients or potential clients, but with with more regulation just become just just comes more fine print and then I'm sorry but it's probably 1 to 2% of the people that we work with that actually read these documents anyway and so are is more regulation actually doing more for the general public i mean if they're not reading it anyway and so it's um you know i don't mean to get too worked up but it's but it's 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 frustrating in our business because you know and i guess part of that is because Quite honestly, we've always we've always run a clean ethical business, and and it's frustrating that more regulation for us is more fine print and more documents that we have to have someone sign. And you know, we were never doing anything wrong to begin with, you know. And and it's and that's it's just it's very frustrating. But um, you know, the, again, the foundation for it is is looking out for the general public and and what we call the end client, and and ensuring that they have all the information they need to make a sound decision. So the reasoning is is good. Um, you know, unfortunately, it just, I don't mean to get too worked up. Anyway, um, so what's going to happen is just more requirements, you know, logistically speaking, more requirements for advisors to uh, give more information to 
clients and potential clients and, and, and have them sign off. And it's just another signature on a piece of paper, um, having them sign off that they understand X, Y, and Z. And, and, you know, we've disclosed our fees and compensation and conflicts of interest, et cetera, which we do anyway. Um, I just wanted to touch, we'll take a break in a few minutes, but I, I also related to this is, um, I wanted to talk about the CFP board code of standards um, and, and code of ethics, because I think that that's related to this discussion. So Kirk and I and all, all the advisors at McNamara Financial are certified financial planner professionals. So there's a CFP board that um, issues those marks. And in the world of financial planning, that's the designation to have. Just, um, you know, and for maybe people that, you know, have not heard of that, um, you know, I, I guess, I mean, I, I would say it's, you know, it's like in the accounting world, you know, there's the CPA, right? A certified yep. public accountant, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of a, uh, a standard it's, for, uh, you know, for somebody that's, you know, done. It's the designation yeah, in the, that's in like, the accounting that's like, that's like, that's like yeah. the big de- designation in the accounting world. You know, to us, this is the, the big designation in, in the investment world or the, or the financial. In the financial planning world. In the financial world. planning world, yeah. right? Yeah, it's different from like the investment selection world where you're talking about the CFA or charter financial analysts or investment analyst world. That's different. But in the world of financial planning um, and and caring for clients, I guess I would say that the CFP marks or the certified financial planner marks are, are the, the designation to have. So again, under the heading of not all advisors are created equal, there are some financial professionals could be registered reps in the commission world, could be uh, fee-based advisors in, in the fee-based world. Some advisors in both of those world will hold the CFP designation and others won't. It's not a mandatory designation. You you can practice financial planning without that designation. The world, the word, the actual word financial advisor isn't currently regulated. And anyone can say I'm a financial advisor, I'm a financial professional. Not everyone can say I'm a CFP. Those are, those are marks that you have to, uh, you have to prove competency in certain areas and sit for an exam and, and, and you have to, um, you know, have take continuing it ongoing to 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 be awarded those marks. So, um, not a, not all advisors will have that CFP designation, and some will. So, we at McNamara have just chosen to make it mandatory for all advisors to hold those marks. We will not bring on board a new advisor that doesn't have a CFP designation. We think it's very very important. And we think it that it's we we have imposed it as a requirement internally in our business um, that we won't bring on any advisors that don't that haven't proved proficiency and you know this is areas of investments and retirement planning and taxes and estate planning and insurance um, and so so we as CFP professionals so a whole nother layer of fidu- the fiduciary standard is the fact that CFPs are required to act as fiduciaries also. So the CFP board has a code of ethics and they have standards of conduct. So I just want to read the code of code of ethics. It's only six things, but I think it's important. And then the fir- and then and then I would just want to read the first standard of conduct. Mm-hmm. So this is the and you can go to cfp.net um, for any information on that, on the certified financial planner designation. There's information there for, for financial professionals, but also for the general public. So the code of ethics is that a CFP professional must, one, act with honesty, integrity, competence, and diligence. 
Two, act in the client's best interests. Three, exercise due care. Four, avoid or disclose and manage conflicts of interest. Five, maintain the confidentiality and protect the privacy of client information. And six, act in a manner that reflects positively on the financial planning profession and CFP certification. We're doing that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the code of ethics, so as CFP professionals, in order for us to not be stripped of our marks, we have, you know, we have, to, we have to take continuing education and we have to abide by this code of ethics. Number two being acting in the client's best, acting in the client's best interest. Um, the CFP board also has their new ha- has standards of conf- conduct, which they just rewrote actually and go into effect this fall. But the first standard of conduct under duties owed to clients, number one, fiduciary duty. So the CFP board takes this really seriously. And so the first standard of conduct for CFP professionals at all times when providing financial advice to a client, a CFP professional must act as a fiduciary and therefore act in the best interest of the client. The following duties must be, perf- must be fulfilled, duty of loyalty, duty of care, and duty to follow client instruction. That's the first standard of conduct. So, so you know, there's stuff going on in the regulatory world surrounding caring for clients. Oh, it's just, again, it's so frustrating that we need all this, right? People, financial professionals should just always have been caring for clients and doing what's right, right? Um, so there's all this stuff going on in the regulatory world. And then the CFP board, which is not a regulatory, it's not a, a government entity. Right. Um, they, they have their own marks that they issue to certified financial planners. Um, and they have their own standards of conduct that these CFP professors, so if you want to call yourself a CFP, you have to abide by these standards of conduct and rules. So I think that that's pretty cool. Um, all right. So that was like a lot of background and information regarding financial professionals and caring for clients. And what I think what we wanted to get into for the next portion of the show is like real life situations where as an advisor, you're reminded when, when, if you're a fiduciary, you're reminded that what it means to be a fiduciary and also situations could be the same situations are different. Whereas a client, you really want to know that you're working with a fiduciary. So I just wanted to go through, um, you know, just like discussions that we have every day with clients where, you know, I'm talking about, you know, and I'm just reminded that oh, this is what it means to be a fiduciary. I just gave this client advice. That's going to mean that we're not going to have an ongoing relationship because the best thing for them is to do something different. Um, and that, that feels good sometimes, right? Like, you know, you might not, I, even if I really enjoyed those people I, and I want, might have wanted to work with them, it, you know, it, it feels good to say, you know what, I'm not, the best fit, the best thing for you is to do something else. Yeah, I think that would, yeah, I think that's, that would be helpful. And and also we could talk, maybe talk about um, examples of where, you know, we, you know, there, there might be, there might be a conflict of interest or a bias, but we'll, you know, how we might explain that, you know, explain that to a client uh, and how we, you know, try to approach that. Right. Um, all right, so let's take a quick break. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and we're trying not to get, I'm not getting too political, I don't think. I don't, um, I'm trying to steer clear of that, but we're, we're talking about the world of 
being a fiduciary, I guess, um, and the world of working with a financial advisor. And we're going to go through some real life situations here in a few minutes right after the break. Be right back. (laughs) 